Does it feel good? It does. <laughs> there you go. Do you remember your intro? I do. Has it been too long? It's been way too long. <laughs> I might tear up. <laughs> it's an emotional moment. <laughs> Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the badass bitch in that motherfucking MFA program, Kristen Bloom! <laughs> uh, Brett and I decided that we couldn't, um, you know, do our fans wrong and leave <laughs> off with the mission statement that Kmart sucks. <laughs> so we decided we'd come back and uh, say something slightly more meaningful. <laughs> It was a, a send-off, hit episode 200, no fucking fanfare. If we just torched Rain Man and then left for months. You know, it's been a bit hectic. We uh, both applied for the master's program. As I just said, Kristen got in. Go fucking Kristen. Thank you. Um, we've been applying for jobs. Uh, my master's program thing, I needed to write a brand new story, so I had to come up with all that, and the podcast just fell off the schedule, but we're working on getting back to it. Yeah, and this one will probably be a little bit of a life date episode um, in a casual kind of conversation, because uh, I think I am preemptively dubbing this podcast episode, A Lot Can Happen in Six Months, because <laughs> a lot has happened. Well, kick us off, love. Um, so I guess we'll go back semi in chronological order here. Um, I think the last time we talked, we had kind of addressed, uh, I had been doing some editing. The last time we talked. We, as oh, an audience, as an audience, as an audience the <laughs> last like, we're time still together. We, we live in the same apartment. collectively we talk talked. Uh, yeah, that didn't change. Unfortunately, we're still in the same <laughs> apartment. Um, <laughs> uh, the last time we talked as an audience, uh, I I think I had already started doing the editing for the wedding company. I think mm -hmm. I started that in October, and our last episode was in September. Wait, that's backwards. I started it in September also, I think. I don't know. Fuck. Anyway, she works for Whatever. a wedding company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I recently started doing um, editing for a wedding company, which I am still doing. I'm still working with them. And uh, that kind of ate into a lot of my time, so mm -hmm. I didn't really have a lot of time for the podcast. And then, yeah, Brett started working on his writing sample for the MFA program, so Brett didn't have time for a podcast. And <laughs> Jax is a lazy piece of shit, so... <laughs> and everybody's still alive. Everybody's in the same setup. Um, so, uh, since we last spoke in October, Brett and I had a fun little incident happen. Uh, <laughs> I was walking down the stairs to go oh. get the groceries out of the car, and my dumbass was looking at my phone while walking down the stairs and fell and damn near broke my ankle. Yeah. So... It was a fun phone call. Yeah. Um, Long day at work. <laughs> Fly home because I'm convinced Kristen's like shot at the bottom of the fucking stairs. So yeah, that's Trip the... Trip to the ER. <laughs> the weekend of my birthday, uh, or the week of my birthday, I fell and like, my ankle was like sideways. I was like, oh my God, like I heard this crunch. I couldn't stand. I had to crawl back up the stairs to get into the apartment and like... My phone was in the apartment, so I didn't have it. Oh, wait, no, I was looking at my phone. I don't know. My stories are all running <laughs> together. Um, I crawled back in the apartment because I couldn't stand, I guess. I don't mm -hmm. know what I was thinking. Um, I called Brett sobbing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I have to come out. <laughs> um, and Brett had to basically carry me down the stairs while our neighbors are looking at him like he's an abusive spouse. Dude, I'm no shit. Like, sitting in the ER with an injured woman. I guess looking the way that I looked, especially after a 10-hour shift, you know, working in the dog kennels, I was 
tired. I was haggard. Um, I thought it was supposed to be steak night and you didn't get steak. (laughs) I thought I was very attentive, but basically what happened was I more or less kicked her out of the car right in front of the ER, but she had a trunk full of groceries. So I had to abandon her at the ER, fly home, unload that, fly back. And by the time I got there, you would have thought, yeah, sure, you fell down the stairs again. <laughs> and in the meantime, some like schizophrenic dude had a full-bore freak out in the waiting yeah, room. because he didn't want to wear a mask. <laughs> um, I did not break my ankle. Um, I fucked it up pretty good, though. And that was, like I said, way back in October. Um, and it still bugs me a bit. Like, mm-hmm. it clicks. I unfortunately fell off my gym regime because couldn't, couldn't walk, walk for a while. <laughs> I was on crutches for a while. Brett had to stay home with me because I literally couldn't do anything for myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, that w- that was my October. That was fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, we got a new desk. Hell yeah! In December, <laughs> we renovated so Brett could actually have some space to work on. And I have been. <laughs> First thing I got to work on was I um, I waited like an idiot until I was about thirty days out from having to turn in something, and I had no writing sample to speak of. Despite couldn't, my harassing you, yeah, couldn't come up with anything. But I've been recently, and we can get into this a little bit more too, um, trying to up my numbers as far as books read um, in a year. So I'd recently started Audible, and the first book. Oh, sorry. Uh, the first book that I decided to listen to is my favorite book. It's Chuck Palahniuk's Survivor. And that's the one I got tattooed on my arm. It's my favorite story of all time. And there was a scene in Survivor that, uh, if you haven't read it, definitely read it. Because Polonik's a strange, strange fellow. Uh, But there's a scene in Survivor where they are discussing a pornography dump site. Basically all the porn that's used and like your latex dolls and your dildos and shit all get thrown into this landfill that is the main character is inadvertently created. It's, it sounds stupid, but it, the major it events, sounds unsanitary. Yeah, major <laughs> events occur inside of this landfill thing. And the absurdity of the landfill that I'd completely fucking forgotten about somehow, uh, inspired me to write a story that was a little bit out of the norm for me. Typically I like to do what we call trauma stories very fast right in the moment of something horrific happening no closure at the end it's just the way i like things um and instead this time i was i gave myself the permission to kind of sneak off into the absurd and i banged out something that i'm still pretty much working on it was an incomplete short story that i turned in but they wanted a rough draft so i gave them the rough draft and that was the guidelines anyway, if you were going to do a longer piece to only submit like 15 pages of it. Yeah, 15 to 30, and I hit it like at 17 or some shit like that. Um, it's far from over. I've fallen in love with this character that I set out just to have a writing sample for. Um, he's definitely one of the weirdest ones that I've ever done. But the story comes to me in like little blips. So it is, I've got my notepad on my side of the desk because it basically it's uh, two cubicles separated by a bookshelf. And um, I've been slowly developing him. So like I tell Kristen, I'm talking to Marty, you know, my main character. And I get like glimpses again of his past and the way that he grew up and why he would be the way that he is. He's kind of changed just in the last couple of months from like this innocent type character to somebody a bit more uh, complex complex is yeah. Good word. And, um, 
it does have like a magical element, not like a fantasy warlock type thing, more like a, supernatural. Yeah, kind of a supernatural sort of deal. Like if you think of the um, the ma- the magicians that like hypnotize people in comedy clubs, like he's kind of of that ilk in certain ways. And that's how it started, and I've kind of moved him into the realm of possible domestic terrorist. So I'm not 100% sure that I've got him uh, leveled, but it's the first time in a long time where I've had a character that even has a name. Most of them don't have names, um, and I'm writing with intention on it. So I'm still plugging away at that, haven't given up on the dream. Can we backtrack a bit? Sure. Um, Because we haven't really talked I think since you started your actual application for the MFA, um, why was it so important to you that you have like a completely fresh piece and not use any of your previous work for the program? I wanted to get in with what I currently have because like I've got stuff that I wrote in college that's good and I I did wind up using one of those. I had this essay that had to do with um, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and Norman Bates's actual thing to kind of talk about the film and talk about the insanity defense, how it's used in the United States and how it hasn't been updated since like the 1870s or some shit like that. So I've got this really good paper that I knew I could just drop and be like, that's my essay to try to get the teacher apprenticeship. Um, But as far as my fiction went, I didn't want to pull something from like three or four years ago. I wanted something fresh so I knew that I was getting in on my own merit to prove to myself that I could still do it. Because initially it was going to be... I've got a a longer piece that I'm kind of stalling out on slowly, but I need to take my notes down off my whiteboard and kind of reset it. The one about the Jeep and, you know, dad and growth and shit like that that is completely outside of my normal vein. You should definitely Um, do that one, though. Don't, like set it aside for too long yeah so i wanted to do that but i felt too much pressure trying to come up with the 15 pages for something that serious like i that's something i want to build slowly over time and like really fine-tune because i I think it's an important story so i didn't want to do that and then i got this thing through polonic where i was like just go into the absurd just write something new 15 pages If it sucks, it sucks. If it works, it works. If it works and they don't like it, at least I'll die on that cross knowing that I gave it a full, you know, effort. I didn't pull something that I'd written five years ago and gone, this is, I'm still this good. Um, Luckily, I don't feel like I've missed too many steps. Like I do write in short bursts. It's been a while since it was 2,000 words a day. I need to get back to that, but life. And um, yeah. So it gave me an opportunity to kind of prove to myself that I can still do it, that I'm not just trying to, like, sneak in the back door off some stuff that I know is good. You know, here's a brand new rough draft. Do with it what you will. And it's been a while, too, since you've had to do um, something kind of longer like that with such a tight Mm -hmm. deadline. Like, did you, I don't know, did you miss that? Did you enjoy that, that process of being, like, almost like a school project where it's like, you got to get this done by Friday? Yeah, it felt really felt really good because I have been slacking on like the longer form writing. I've got a Scrivener thing for the memoir that I pop in and I try to get a few notes down. But it is pulling stories from my life and you only get like little glimpses, you know, like little flashes of memory when you're trying to do something like that. Uh, this was completely, it's a blank page, do with it what you will. Here's a weird character, he's on the stage, what happens next? And I just kind of yes-anded my way through the 15-page 
thing. But it, it felt really good being able to sit down at the desk and just hit it again. So I used to do it every day, you know, 2,000 words, sit at my desk. And it made me a calmer, more thoughtful person. And so being able to do the one for the masters, for sure. Do you think having a proper space to sit and write again has been, like, important for that process? Definitely. I'm off the kitchen table. <laughs> I look up and I have a picture. Uh, my Van Gogh is up on the wall. And right in front of me is just a wall. And then to the left is just a cork board. There's nothing distracting. And as Kristen and I build the bookshelf side of things, it, it kind of walls it off even more. Because right now I can look over and if she's editing something, I can just look, you know, over at her or have a conversation and eventually it'll reach the point where it's just books and it becomes like this encapsulated little space for me to go off. It is kind of neat because um, like I've always just had my own desk like mm -hmm. before you and I moved in together just kind of my own private space and my own desk and um, like not really I guess like had to worry about sharing a space while mm -hmm. working and then um you know, you and I met in a writing class, and we sat next to each other in class. Hey, Jack. Oh, that was the dog. I thought that was thunder <laughs> for a second there for some reason. No. <laughs> I was like, it's storming? I can hear the birds. <laughs> um, but Brett and I, like, had a writing class together, and we sat right next to each other. And that class wasn't, like, cubicles. It was, like, one big long desk yeah. with computers beside each other. But it's been kind of, like, interesting um, having the desk here because... It does kind of almost make you feel like you're back in school again. Like, mm -hmm. Brett and I don't work at the same time very often, but on the occasion that we do, it's like you peer through the books and you're like, hey, <laughs> hey. I see you over there. Hey, best friend. <laughs> <laughs> so it has been kind of neat. It does yeah. make you feel a bit like you're, like, in school again. <laughs> uh, what kind of, do you know who made the desk or have any of those types of details in um, case other couples are interested in it? Like I got it off Amazon. I mean, it's not that terribly important. but Well, you asked. Oh, I didn't know if, like, that model or design had a name for it. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I, like, literally just went on Amazon and, like, Googled two-person desk because I knew I was going to do something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I would find something that had, like, a divider in the middle, so that was pretty cool. Um, I was kind of just expecting it to be a really long desk. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if you... Literally just go on Amazon and Google two-person desk. There's tons of options. I What I like about this one, though, is um, it's press board for sure. It's not fancy, but it's fairly sturdy. Mm -hmm. um, it feels like real wood. Like yeah, that. and it looks kind of real. Like the, mm -hmm. I think it's like one of those things where they put like the paper covering on top or whatever, but whatever they covered the press board with actually looks really nice um and the whole framing is pretty sturdy metal um so the company is tribe signs that's one word t-r-i-b-e-s-i-g-n-e-s -E -E um it just says two-person computer desk with bookshelf it doesn't really have a specific name but um <laughs> Yeah, I, I literally just went on Amazon and Googled until I found something that I thought yeah. would be appropriate for the two of us. And uh, it's been kind of cool because I wasn't really satisfied with my workspace before either mm -hmm. because my desk um, ended up just becoming this catch-all for clutter. <laughs> so I had like basically my computer and then a mountain of clutter. And I think now that we have designated desks, we're very conscious of what we're setting on our own yeah. desk. Like the bookshelf has still kind of become a catch-all because we haven't finished putting it together yet 
Um, but the desk space is calm, <laughs> and that's that's been nice. I was a little worried that it was going to be too small, especially for you, because you've got the big 27-inch monitor, right? Mm-hmm. I've just got my little laptop, so like I can tuck right in. Uh, but it, it's actually quite a bit more space than what it looks like, especially on my end, because I just have it. So I can have my laptop, I can have my notepad sitting Your right coffee. next to me. Cup of coffee, my pen cup. Like I've got my full setup. It's very minimalist. I didn't anticipate that I would be able to like properly work within it because I had like an old principal's desk at my old space, and I filled that bastard all the way up with shit. This one doesn't have so much as a drawer, but I find that I don't need it. And maybe that's why it's a bit easier to work at, is I don't feel like this professional level of pressure. Like, there's the drawer that has all my blank copy paper. There's <laughs> My manuscript. <laughs> yeah, here's, you know, the three manuscripts that I'm never going to touch, but when I open up the drawer, I feel good about myself. Like, I can only have what I'm currently working on in the area. Mm. And I do like, too... Um... And my typewriter sits on the bookshelf thing. Yeah. Pop that bastard around. (laughs) I like that, um, for one, the design's a bit flexible, but the way that it works, um, one of the bookshelves itself is flush with the desk. So Brett's, like, printer is, like, in the bookshelf technically, but it's also technically facing his desk, so it's, like, right there accessible. Um, But, like, I didn't really, when I bought it, anticipate that it would be a permanent desk. I was like, oh, this is just the desk for now while we have a one-bedroom, and eventually we'll probably have our own separate office spaces. Um, But you can actually take the two individual desks and put them on just one side so it's one really big, wide desk. Yeah, you get a big table. And I was like, eventually, we could put the desks on one side and then have a really cool podcast desk with a bookshelf. (laughs) Yeah, that would be fucking awesome. I'd I'd be definitely down for that once we get some... Most definitely, definitely. Most definitely. Kmart. What did he say? He gets his underwear from Kmart? What is it? (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I like that it's versatile. I mean, I, I, I don't expected it'll last forever because it's press board but eventually whenever we don't really need it anymore it's like oh we could reclaim our kitchen table and have an actual <laughs> podcast desk instead of our kitchen table hell yeah and as we've mentioned you got into the mfa program how good did that fucking feel when you got that email really good but at the same time i'm like holy shit i'm gonna be so far in debt <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's I don't know, it's one of those things where I feel like a bit more adulty now, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm going to get my master's. That's and uh, I am, as Brett likes to say, one of five people that got in. Mm-hmm. Well, you <laughs> when, are. You should be proud of that. When truthfully, only five people probably <laughs> applied. But uh, I am one of those five that is now in the program. Um, I, I bet you there's at least like a hundred that applied to the program. Maybe. <laughs> it's a pretty major program here at the university. I think yours people is the major that, program. Mine is the program that people who already live here apply yeah. to. So we were talking about last night about it. It's like, well, you know, my You're, program does have a river runs through it, which I've never read or seen, but I hear is phenomenal. <laughs> your program is the program people move here for. I'm pretty sure mine is the program that people who already live here are like, well, I'm into film. <laughs> I'll apply to it. But you got to meet your advisor, you got to do a quick tour of, like, your main area? Uh, well, sort of. I saw, like, one of the rooms. I don't really know if it's a place I'm going to be working. Um, but yeah, I did get to have a chat with my advisor. Um, I I don't really have my schedule or anything yet, because it's still too early for that. But, uh, we did talk about potentially doing a teaching assistantship, or kind of seeing (laughs) what, um, 
my options there would be I won't really Did he have... give you any idea of like what you would be assisting? Not really. He did say there were options though, like you could um like literally like help teach a class in person and there mm-hmm. are also online courses where you basically are kind of like the monitor of them and answer questions and stuff, but it's not so much teaching it because it's like yeah. a laid out class that you're kind of just answering the professor's yeah. emails and um i think there's like some stuff where you can like help grade papers and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i think they like try to give you options for how involved you want to be because he mentioned that some people by their third year are like i just want to focus on my stuff and yeah. i don't want to like do this at all anymore so i think they try to work with you to see like what accommodates your schedule um yeah, I just, unfortunately, yeah, it's only March, so <laughs> I won't really know what I'm going to be doing for probably another month or two, yeah. but... If I get in, that's one of the things I'm, like, most excited about, is I would love to get into that professor side of things, because, like, as I get a bit older, like, I do have a strong belief in myself as far as the writing goes and where the future in that leads, Um but the ability to run a workshop was one of the main things that pulled me out here. I figured, silly old me, pre-COVID, that I could use the breweries near the college because there's a lot of local beer here, and uh, that's where the kids hang out these days. Um, I figured I could, like, amass a tiny army of filmmakers and (laughs) writers through these breweries because all creative endeavors start in a bar some countries, like the great America. Um, (laughs) But that obviously didn't work. But one of the... um, major reasons why I wanted to do it was because I love the workshop experience so much. And in the creative writing field, that's like 90% of your major classes. So like if I could sit in on like a junior or senior level creative writing program, I'm not so much trying to teach them like this is an adverb. I barely know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> like the technical things. Like I wouldn't be doing so much of that. I don't think as much as not a, here's a collegiate your level for sure. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, you do have your basic English courses, I guess they could put me in charge of, but I'd like like a junior or senior college level um, creative writing course where I can go in there. And if even if I'm only assisting in the workshop or if I'm only reading half of the papers to save the professor, like being able to help people edit things, tighten them up, uh, adjust, and teach them things that I know about the art of storytelling that may be a little bit different than what they're used to, you know, cause I had a Royo. So like I'm used to, which I got to talk to him. We'll get to that later. <laughs> <clears throat> I had him and I really respected him because the way that he looked at fiction was different than anybody else that I, you know, had to learn from. He had this concept of flash fiction and like these really potent details, like the stories that, you can visualize inside your head because there's so much detail in a single sentence, but it's not like a Stephen King level of detail where he like describes a shirt for three pages. Like Arroyo has this ability to describe an entire scene in like one sentence. And so I, I got to see that side of things and it, it greatly affected the way that I write to the point where it made it difficult to write 15 pages. Cause at like seven, I was like, I'm good. I guess I'll just throw a filler on the front end. <laughs> I've got my main vents, but being able to do something like that for somebody else, you know, I think there's things that I bring to the table as far as emotion. That... See, this cracks me up how different our perspectives are. 
Because you're like, yeah, if I had a teaching assistantship, I could really help some other people. And I'm like, if I had a teaching assistantship, I could try to address some of my anxiety about being in front of crowds before actually having to be a real teacher. <laughs> like, mine's way more selfish. I'm like, I don't want to just jump right into being a teacher. So if they're like, show up on Tuesday and mm-hmm. talk for 10 minutes, I'm like, I got this. <laughs> Mine well, is way more selfish. <laughs> well, I don't know if I could do the not right away because I, I also have like a fear of speaking yeah. in front of people. So much anxiety. I don't know if I could do the like marker on the whiteboard, you know, standing in front talking straight for 45 minutes yeah. or whatever. Like that would be a little nerve wracking. Like we're going to watch a movie today because I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think I could do the... You know, the workshop thing, everybody's in a circle of desks and you just sit there and you go, well, what did you mean by that? Because it's not very clear to me. All right. What did you mean by that? (laughs) Really? And by that, what did you mean? (laughs) And how does that make you feel? And how does that make you feel? When When you say excitedly, let's unpack excitedly. I think for me, though, realistically, that's probably the nicest thing about, um grad programs offering like stuff like that because like holy hell like could you imagine going straight from being a graduate to now like you get a job as a teacher and you have nothing in between to kind of Winston has entered the chat (laughs) (laughs) um like you have nothing in between to kind of buffer like you were a student yourself and now you're a teacher and like I like the idea that something like that kind of lets you in some way practice. Yeah. Like gives you a little yeah. bit of authority. Like walking into it. Quit rubbing your face <laughs> on the arm of the microphone. Go away. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I don't know, like weirdly, because I did theater and I acted and stuff for a while, you'd think I'd be better at it. But I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of like social anxiety about public speaking and stuff. And like my last big like public speaking thing that I did, I wound up crying on a stool in front of people sitting on the floor on yoga mats. Oh. I had to do the uh, a storytelling class, and I thought that I could just write stories and then come in, but like they wanted like authentic stories, and I've got this... Um, I think it's in The Madman Diaries. Um, about... No? It's a different one. Whatever it was, it was some story, you know... It kind of played off of my dad right after he passed away and I was a goddamn wreck. <laughs> I'm sitting on a bar stool. I can't memorize shit because uh, I'm an alcoholic and I've been punched in the head a bunch of times, so I'm not good at that. Um, so I just pulled out my piece of paper and I said, I'm just going to read this so I can get comfortable enough being up here. And it was a really nice piece, but I started crying in the middle of trying to read it and then, like, they thought that I was pretending to cry. <laughs> so she was like, no, keep going, keep going. And so like, it, I ended it and I couldn't, like nobody understood like the last three sentences because I was just streaming in front of a room of 30 people. <laughs> and then she was like, you did really good. The, 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 you know, actually reading it off the paper added an element to the storytelling. And I was like, no, I couldn't. I read it off the paper because I can't remember the story without reading it <laughs> off the paper. And then it made me cry. And then you goaded me into continuing to do this. So I don't know if that helped or hurt me psychologically. <laughs> <laughs> we should assess this in therapy exactly it's like I, I should have just played it off like just wipe my eyes and been like bravo you know and that was your theater performance there you for the go day. eat your heart out dude from there will be blood but you got to um talk to arroyo mm-hmm. you don't remember me <laughs> not not immediately 
Uh, so I reached out to him through his email account. I mean, keep in mind, we graduated in 2018. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a while, and I haven't reached out to him in the in the interim. So I'm like one face of probably 100 faces that semester, and he's several semesters removed. But I uh, I hit him up, and I was like, hey, Dr. Arroyo, I, you know, I'm applying for the graduate program. I would really appreciate, like, a letter from you because, like, you were, like, my favorite professor, blah, blah, blah. I sat and reread and reread this email for about an hour going, this is one of my, like, I've got, like, three teachers at all in my life, in the history of my education, that I've, like, that person really affected me. It's like him, Miss Wolf from, like, senior year of high school, you know, shit like that, you know, where I can remember their names, I can remember the impact. Um, so I sent him this email, like, maybe a paragraph long, and he hit me back up, and he goes, I'd love to write your letter of recommendation, however... I need you to send me something from when you were in my class so I can remember who you are, <laughs> more or less. And that was a little disheartening, and I took it a little too personally, maybe. But I wrote him back, and I sent him stuff, and it was like almost after he'd read that sample from his fiction writing class, realized that we'd known each other for a whole year back in 2018, that he was like, oh, it's Brett. And it became a lot more like informal and friendly. And there was a lot less pressure by the time that I was like, well, I really appreciate you sending in the letter. That's fantastic. You know, it means the world to me, especially coming from you. Um, so I did get to have a little back and forth. He's a busy man, so I didn't get a review, but he said he really enjoyed reading my new work. And he wrote you a letter is, of recommendation. And he wrote me an LOR, so that's good. <laughs> Um, yeah, one of my professors that I really enjoyed having class with wrote one of mine, too, so that was kind of nice. Um, it is a little, like, because, eh, like, um, I don't think with your application you had that option, because, um, my application was just straight through to college's website, but Brett's, like, had a secondary, mm -hmm. um, application process through a different, like, a third-party site. Um, and my application gave me the option to either say that I wanted to review the recommendation or that it would just be private, but it tells that person whether yeah. or not you're saying you want to read it. So I was like, well, I don't want them to think that I don't have faith in what they have to say. So I declined um, the option to review any of mine. But mm. then like after they submit it, you're like, what did they say? <laughs> Were they nice? <laughs> Do they like me? <laughs> oh, and then Faith. Faith wrote both of us one, which yeah. it, like, I adore Faith. Hero. And, yeah. you know, she's been so sweet to both of us since we had her in class. So that was really nice, too, because she was just so enthusiastic and, like, told us both how proud of us she was. Well, so. That was the class that we met in. Yeah. It was in Faith's class. So we, we met each other in her class. We got married, and then both of us are going for the same thing at once. And I, I, she's the fucking Cupid. So. And she seems like, because she I works. can't forget, shout out to my boy Sturm, my old flight chief also wrote me a, a letter, so that was really cool. And I think uh, Faith works, like, privately as an editor now. I don't think she teaches anymore, but, like, and she seems really happy, and, like, she really likes the mm -hmm. work that she does, but that is one thing that I'm like, oh, man, what a, like, loss for NTSU and, like, future students, because she was such a fantastic teacher. She taught screenwriting, too, and she was incredibly enthusiastic about it. Oh, again much like Arroyo, showed me how to look at something just a little bit different, introduced me to... The Bible. Yeah, the show the show note Bible thing. Um, how to work with screenwriting in a type of workshop, because what we did in that semester was as a class wrote a 12 or 15... 
it was 12. 12. Um, a 12-episode 12 TV show. Hour-long a piece, and, like, everybody had a different episode. And then we, like, used um, the class time to, like, hey, where are we going with this character as a whole? But then it would be your job to write, to, your to write that part and then bring it back to the class. Okay, well, that's not really how Sam would act in this situation, so why, why don't we go back and rework that? And so we would draft them as a team. I got, I think, episode, like, seven. It was right after the halfway point, and basically my instruction was something really big has to happen because we're at the halfway point. And so I, in true Brett Bloom fashion, violently massacred one of the main characters. <laughs> I was like, we're not really using him for the past three episodes, so let me bring him back with some sense of purpose, crucify him, and light him on fire. <laughs> I had the second to last episode, so my job was basically the build-up to the big action, so I caused all the chaos and then left it with the final person and was like, and your turn! <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but that was um, the inspiration for like my personal show that I'm the idea will not leave me but I have no, absolutely no effort into since we moved to Montana um, where I, I had this really what I thought was a serious idea regarding an album where I was going to flesh out the album in forms of character and use the album as inspiration and uh, because I'm terrible at public talking uh people thought it was a comedy and it was about a heroin addict <laughs> it did kind of come across like a comedy when you pitched yeah. it <laughs> i liked the contrast of that semester with her though because i had her for screenwriting one and screenwriting two i had that other lady for one the bipolar oh. lady um now yeah, that i've now, told her that now that you've yeah. said that i don't want to say what her name is though super sweet really yeah. intelligent but not as good of a people person shall we say. <laughs> i really liked her yeah um but anyway, I... Um, that was basically just learning fade in, fade out, you know. Like. <laughs> well, I had um, Faith like I said, for both uh, screenwriting one and two, and in screenwriting one, I don't know if that was kind of her standard practice or if it just worked out that way, we did literal just individual scripts. So you worked mm -hmm. on a script by yourself um, that no one contributed to, but then we would kind of workshop them in class. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to have that contrast of like, this is your individual project. And then the next semester it's like, Oh, it's a group project. Yeah. I think <laughs> Cause I had her back to back semester one. The final was you had to write an episode of an existing TV show. And so I picked the office because I'd recently watched the one where they come in and they do the CPR training and like, they completely fucking he freak out. Rips the mask off. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched that one like the night before and I was like, I'm doing an episode of The Office. And my episode of The Office was uh, Dwight decides without telling anybody else that he's going to run an active shooter scenario on The Office to make sure they're prepared in the event that there's an active shooter. Because this would have been 2016, 2017 when the shootings were like every goddamn day. And I was like, it's dark, but it's topical. And... um but he doesn't tell anybody that he's going to run this drill. So, like, he dresses himself up in all, like, battle garb, and he's using sim munitions, which are what we used for some training in Guam when I was in the Air Force, which are basically bullets, but they shoot paintballs. Like, they hurt like hell, but they're pretty accurate to, like, how an actual bullet works. And so he's coming in with red sim munition. He's hitting everybody, so people think that there's this actual active shooter going on. And the uh, Vietnam vet character 
the creepy guy. I can't remember Creed. his name. Yeah, Creed. Uh, like absolutely, figure like he. He disappears, like in a ghillie suit type situation, where like he's stalking Dwight around the office, trying to stop him from murdering all the coworkers. But everybody else is like, as they're getting hit, realizing, oh, this is just one of Dwight's dumb games. But the word never gets back to Creed. So Creed, like after everybody's like, oh, it's just Dwight, Creed like walks up and fucking throws him in a chokehold. <laughs> <laughs> so like that was my one. What was your script for the? Uh, it was real cliche, because <laughs> uh, that was at the time where I was still double minoring, mm-hmm. and uh, I, had, I was working full-time and had a full um, class load, so I, I think I was in my fiction writing class relatively around the same time, so I had like a ghost story that I'd done for my fiction uh-huh. writing class that I basically turned into a short film, <laughs> uh, and it was real bad. It was not good, <laughs> but... Uh, Faith is very kind and very uplifting and very generous and gave me a good grade anyway. Hell yeah. <laughs> Which, Faith does not want to crush your dreams if you're actually trying, even if the story Steve sucks. Carell. Steve Carell, if you're out there. Or Ricky Gervais. I will sell you that episode. I've got it already written. I've still got it on my hard drive. <laughs> Little tweets here and there for dialogue. But <laughs> um, We did start... Uh, a semi-book club. Hell yeah, Brett Bloom's <laughs> Badass Book Club, um, which I can't remember if we... I don't think that we'd started it by the time we left off. Um, I think so. But we read What Dreams May Come after watching the, the movie that I'd never seen the movie, What Dreams May Come. I fucking fell in love with it. And then we read the book, and the book sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> bit of a dated viewpoint, Yeah, for sure. It's from the 70s, if I remember correctly, and I don't have all the details in my head. Um very flat female characters. Uh, I mean, very, very flat. Savior white male character. Very savior white male. Um, very heavy handed on the religious side of things, which I completely <laughs> expected. But for how like heavy handed the religion is, it it's bigger in the movie. Like it makes more sense. It feels more thought out. This the book felt like he read a bunch of religious texts. Uh, didn't fully understand any of them, and then just used them as a like a, a loose structure for his story. Um, so, I mean, read it for sure. It's Richard Matheson. He did I Am Legend. Like he wrote the the book behind that and a couple of other things. Apparently, it's very you know he he was pretty popular for his time. He wrote like a lot of horror stories, and then out of nowhere wrote What Dreams May Come. And then, uh, I wonder if the character was black and I am legend or if it was still a white savior character. <laughs> Probably the white savior character. And they just gave it to Will Smith. They're making a sequel to I am legend. That's long Doesn't after. make sense to me at all, but whatever. Will Smith and Jada, they're, you know, <laughs> controversial figures, shall one say. <laughs> um, our next book that Brett has decided to stall on reading is going to be A Walk to Remember. Because I... I bought the copies of A Walk to Remember, and then you became like Mrs. 70% with your fucking lungs, and I'm not reading a book about a lady who's dying of COPD while my wife might be dying of COPD. She's dying dying of leukemia. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah, I guess that's a bit of a life update, too. Um, So I started going to the doctor. I don't know if we've really discussed it much on the podcast, but I, most of my life, have kind of had some not, like, scary health issues, but just some moderate health issues. Like, I get sick easy. Um... 
intense exercise is a little harder for me. And then after we moved out here, it just kept getting worse and kept getting worse. Especially and, after the fire season. Yeah. Um, and I have like triggers that are just mm. like irritants for me. But I think also just the cold, dry climate has been a problem for me too. So I decided to start seeing a doctor about it. I was pretty positive they were going to say I had asthma. Um, we don't know what I have. <laughs> so I still don't really know what's wrong with me. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I initially when I first started seeing the doctor only had about 70% lung capacity, which um, sounds scary to me. She didn't seem like aggressively alarmed yeah. by it, but it was considered below average for sure. Um, so we've been working on different treatments and I now have like a... Um, steroid inhaler that I take regularly and I'm not 100% still. I'm literally not 100% still. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm at 88%, in fact. Um, not feeling 100%, but I am feeling quite a bit better. So. Yeah, it was rough right before you went to the doctor and yeah. now it's like every two or three days you might have a coughing fit. And Brett but, and I decided to catch COVID together. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. Well, it's, back to the walk to remember, you've... It, have you seen the movie or you okay because yes. i i saw the movie like in middle or high school i can't remember when it came out but i remember seeing it i believe on one of those substitute teacher days where they're like here's a movie um and then i read the book i, I got it from the library when i was just little brett bloom <laughs> and I, I remember enjoying it back then i'm hoping that it holds up i mean people love nicholas sparks so he's got to be like a a decent writer right like <laughs> Girls love Nicholas Sparks, for sure. I yeah, think he... but their brain development. <laughs> I think he writes a lot of romance novels. Yeah, I know I know. He, he, he's he got a shitload of them. He's like the Stephen King of the romance world. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping that it... Like, I still like it, you know, like as a 30-year-old. Because the first one, I was like... By the time we got through the... Um, near the end of what dreams may come, I was like, I I'm good. Yeah. I, I could I, if I was not reading it with you, I would have tapped in like the fourth chapter. Yeah, it was pretty rough, um, but it was kind of fun because we would we wouldn't read it together. We would both read it individually at work or on days off or whatever, mm -hmm. and we kind of like let each other know what page we stopped at so we could kind of keep pace with each other. Yeah. So that was fun. So there might be like um, I don't know if I'm going to do it on this show and like have like a once a month hey, here's the book we're reading for the month, and then, like, at the end of the month or the beginning, kind of cover the novel that we read that month. Um, or if I'm going to branch off and just get a second RSS feed for, and I'm going to say it, Brett Bloom's Badass Book Club. <laughs> Bookcast. Brett Bloom's Badass Bookcast, or Book Club, I haven't figured well, it no, out Well, no, somebody's going to steal it. Well, Way to go. Their name better be Brett Bloom, and if it's that fucker that takes pictures of signs, I'm going to murder his mom. <laughs> <laughs> legal reasons that the was nightmare satire. box does not condone <laughs> does not so, endorse yeah. so there i don't know quite how it's going to play out that's one of the things that i do want to develop um because i've been reading and as i was saying earlier i'm on the audible thing now i've been taking in a lot of plot so i'm not gonna go through all of them but last year, I read 12 books in 12 months, different lengths, stuff like that. I had some that were 700 pages. I had like one or two that was like 200. Um, the Five Love Languages was relatively quick and easy to fucking fly through. Uh, but then the anatomy of story is a bit more involved. So it took a while on some of them. But I got some really good books in last year. 
and I'm already on seven now that I've added the Audible for 2022. The Stand being your favorite. The Stand. Yeah. So I did okay. Survivor, as we talked about. Um, Doug Stanhope's three books, Digging Up Mother, This Is Not Fame, and No Encore for the Donkey. Stephen King's The Stand, that I definitely would like to discuss. Uh, Quentin Tarantino did a novelization of Once, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I read that one. And then uh, Doug Stanhope's uh, longtime girlfriend, Amy Bingo Bingaman. Uh, wrote a Madhouse Diary called uh, Let Me Out, which I just finished reading the other day. It was really fucking good. What are you on now? Um, Norm MacDonald's This Is Not a Memoir, I think is what it's called. Fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I would... I, I, the Stand. The Do we have time for that? <laughs> Should we save that for the next episode? <laughs> Talk about... It was a million-hour story. I don't know. We have time. 48 hours long. I listened to it while I was at work because we've been understaffed, so I've been doing a lot more in the back so I could almost listen to 10 straight hours. Has one of my favorite characters in recent memory, because I've never read The Stand. I've owned a paperback copy, but I read It, and that took me like three months. So there was no fucking way I was reading The Stand because it's longer than It. Um, it's the uncut, unabridged like original manuscript that King had in mind. He cut out roughly 400 pages of the original manuscript and then for whatever reason did an unabridged version where he put that whole novel into the book. And uh, I don't know what the abridged version read like, but he didn't need those extra 400 fucking pages. (laughs) (laughs) Several, like I'd, I'd be at work for two hours and they would be having a committee meeting in my head for two hours. No, they'd be reading you the minutes of the committee meeting. The you minutes of the committee meeting. You wouldn't meeting. even get the actual meeting. Yeah, it's like, so this was said, and then they were like, well, why don't we paint it blue? And I was <laughs> like, get back into the action, King. How much coke were you doing in the fucking 70s? But I, I liked it. It was a good takeaway. Um, I like the Randall Flagg character. I guess he's also in like the Dark Tower series. I liked him quite a bit, the walking dude. Um, and then my favorite bad guy that I've read in a long time, the trash can man, to the point where the trash can man heavily influenced a drunken night of writing for my own character <laughs> the other night. And I was like, man, I want him to be kind of like that, you know, <laughs> hence the domestic terrorism side of things. Um, but I'm, I can't find the original miniseries, so I might have to start on the 2020 miniseries of The Stand, but I'll give you guys updates. You see if I like it better than I like the audio book. I stand by the fact that there was a movie that's now been erased <laughs> from existence because we're in a different timeline. It's like the fucking Mandela effect. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> no, I saw the movie. The original has Gary Sinise. <laughs> I believe he plays Stu Redmond. It's, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. So. But um, I read something... Uh, spoiler alert for those of you who um, have not seen the miniseries or have not read the novel there's a explosion that occurs the first explosion not the big one Um, but the first explosion that occurs kills half of his characters and there's like quicks 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 quotes from uh, Stephen King's on writing where he was more or less like so I'd written this like Tolkien-esque story with all of these characters, and he hit this period of writer's block where he's like, well, I can't keep developing these guys because I'm running it's a thousand pages long or whatever the fuck it comes out to. 
So he just blew up half of his characters so that he could focus on the other half of his characters. <laughs> Kill your darlings. Exactly. Quite literally. It's like, okay, well, we've got this nice patch of likable characters, and we're just going to blow them the fuck up. why he wrote so many characters into the story to How much cocaine was Stephen King doing? You You can't can't not do all your cocaine. Wrote less characters. (laughs) Solved you all the problems. So I I knocked out the stand. I'm going to give it a break for a while. Maybe do the Dark Tower series. Not 100% sold on if that's going to be my next move. But I do like the Randall Flagg character, so if he's coming back, you know. I haven't read them in a long time, and I didn't read all of them. I think I literally only read the first two or three at most. But I I did, at the time, enjoy them. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember feeling like the language of it was, like, very poetic. Nice. And, like, I don't know. I haven't read it in a very long time, so I, (laughs) I could be completely off. But I remember, like, I don't know. Like, it just feeling, like, a oddly, like, for how dark the story is, like, yeah. a pretty read. That's so. the that's the best of Stephen King, when he can kind of float in with the prose a little bit. It's just, he gets, in some of his stuff, it's just so fucking wordy. But I can't take anything away from him. I mean, his memoir is one of my favorite memoirs that I've ever read. Pet Cemetery is my favorite story. I wouldn't say my favorite book because that belongs to Survivor. But, like, I've been terrified of every version of Pet Cemetery. Like, it's never been made to where I'm like, well, that's boring. Like, the novel was intense. I was in the ghetto doing my security job, and at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm, like, jumping at fucking shadows reading Pet Cemetery. The movie scared me as a child, still kind of freaks me out as an adult. The remake, even though I didn't like that they changed it from son to daughter, was fucking terrifying (laughs) and like i've got it lined up on audible so i can see if it still freaks me out as an audio book (laughs) like i I know the beats of that story to the point where i could probably tell it to you in a paragraph but at no point in pet cemetery the novel did i feel like oh why are we describing this shirt (laughs) (laughs) it just felt a lot more concise like that and carrie um he, he started to get a little wobbly, I guess, after the stand. You get, like, Shining, where it's like it, there's so much unnecessary detail in parts of it, and the ending's really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the best ending is Pet Cemetery. Period. Wife dies. He's playing solitaire. She comes back to life. Puts her arm on the shoulder. End of story. I feel like I'm going to have to invite King on the podcast to come defend himself against He's more than welcome Brett to. Bloom's opinions. He, he can grace us. <laughs> I love the man. He'd probably be like, and fuck you. Yeah, no, he probably would, and he's probably right for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he's a bad author. He's a fucking fantastic author. He just gets a little wordy. He didn't need to add those 400 pages to a really long book. <laughs> but you're reading more books this year already. I am. So there's that. I'm doing good. It's fucking March, and I'm seven in. I'm going to be able to fill up, hopefully, maybe hit 24. Using the Audible. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Ready to hop off? You Ooh, still... Um, oh. I mean, you got plenty of time. No, I mean, I'm, I've been at work all day. I'm kind of tired. I would like to get a shower. But no, I, um, I guess final little updates. Um, recently got an offer to start working for a secondary company. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we're kind of moving in a direction where 
being tired from being at work all day while trying to podcast won't be a thing anymore. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if we're really good to say what it is yet, but Brett and I have a big trip coming up. We can talk Hell about yeah. that more later. <laughs> um, I don't know if we're quite safe to say what it is yet. Yeah, so we need to make sure. Um, but yeah, uh, we're probably not going to do the two podcasts a week right now just because it has um, kind of gotten to be a lot with everything going on. Like Brett and I, I think, are both pretty stressed by work because unfortunately... Um, both of our jobs are understaffed aggressively. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just well, at least there's of... no war going on in the Eastern no, European. No countries. war, no COVID. Everything's fine. <laughs> I'm not slowly falling into crippling debt. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll try to um, do once a week. So I, I don't know. Um, I guess we'll kind of have to sit down and talk and see how we want to do it. I don't know if we'll hold off on the two stars for now in the meantime or if we'll kind of pepper them in every other week or whatever we'll figure it out but um yeah the Uh, viewing of two stars is going to be awesome because also since you guys left um recreational marijuana oh yeah they've opened up shops so now we can literally take edibles and watch zombievers or yeah it's totally illegal now (laughs) um so if you hear weird bubbling noises that is not uh, Brett blowing bubbles. That is Brett actually smoking weed. Uh, <laughs> Turns out I'm an advocate. All right. We'll get off here. I'm going to go make my beautiful wife a beautiful dinner. And we're going to sit down and probably watch The Ultimate Fighter because I've been trying to get her into it and she seems into it. Might not do that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll talk to you guys next week. I love you, sweetheart. Love you. And I love you guys. Bye.